Welcome, everyone, to Politics Express, the Postwriter's latest general interest politics podcast. I'm your host, the Postwriter's state and science editor, Lars Emerson. This episode, we're discussing the results of the California recall election, Biden's declining approval numbers, and discussing the 2022 midterms and what they mean for control of the Senate. With me here today to discuss is the Post Writers Editor in Chief, Michael Levito. Hello, hello. What's up, Mike? How's it going? It's going okay. I, I'm having a better week than both the people who tried to recall Gavin Newsom and the people who tried to reverse the election in Arizona. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> not saying much, but all no. right. <laughs> so let's dive right into that first part. Uh, California's recall election from a couple weeks ago. Uh, we finally have over 90% of the votes counted in that election, and it takes a long time to count elections in California. Fortunately, it's not usually a very close state. Uh, incumbent governor, Democrat Gavin Newsom, survived the recall, only the second governor in U.S. history to do so, by about a two-to-one so, margin. You are correct, but there have only been like five, I think, gubernatorial recalls. So. I think four. Okay, yeah. But still, you know. So technically not wrong, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. you know, small sample size. Indeed. Um, so that happened a couple weeks ago. They, you know, they called the race that night. It was pretty open and shut, not very competitive. Um, but let's kind of quickly dive into it. Uh, how do you feel about how this recall election went? Was it surprising to you how big Gavin Newsom won by? Was it surprising to me how big Gavin Newsom won by? I mean, it. I think it's maybe surprising. I didn't really think he was going to lose, at least certainly not in the last few weeks going up. I know there were, the polling looked pretty bad at one point for him. And I know there was... Uh, concern about if he'd be able to sort of get drive turnout but I mean I think I, I guess I'm surprised in the sense that I would have assumed that the his margin of victory would just be smaller just because you know it's a weird time to have an election doesn't usually go this way and you would think there'd just be less engagement less turnout and I guess I'm just surprised that uh, he did as well as he did uh, considering you know you would assume lower turnout which is basically what I'm surprised as many people voted as they did and gave him as wide a margin as they did. But I, I don't know that I ever truly thought he was going to lose, except maybe those one or two weeks where he was polling pretty poorly. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, they sent out a ballot to every registered voter in the state. Is That probably helped him a lot at the end, too. Yeah. Um, it's just, it was very easy for people to vote, and a lot of people voted. I mean, the, the mm -hmm. turnout in this election was higher than in the last gubernatorial election in 2018, only three years ago, which is, you know, kind of impressive because that was a pretty high turnout midterm. It was, yeah. And what I guess if one thing, other thing did surprise me, I'd say it's that Larry Elder won as much as he did for the replacement candidate question. He won, I think, last I checked, he was at like 44% of the vote. Those numbers have probably changed since I last checked it. Um, but, you know, that for, for such a diffuse field, like that, that's a lot. That is a lot of people to vote you know when you're picking from a pack of i don't know lots and lots of people i don't even remember exactly how much like that that's a lot i mean and you would also think that that would maybe um indicate that the recall would be successful because when it was successful in california in 2003 Sh arnold schwarzenegger got like 48 percent of the vote um yeah and again i i think that's just because actually now i'm looking out elder did get 48 percent of the vote yeah as 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 of now 92 percent Right. Of, and and uh, he, you know, for those who don't know, he is like a conservative talk show host. He's yeah. by no means like, I mean, I guess he is kind of an Arnold Schwarzenegger like figure in that way. But he's, you know, the I think the second Republican who got the most votes was Kevin Falconer, who was, you know, a mayor. He's mayor of uh, mm -hmm. San Diego. Right. Is. Yeah. That's kind of your more typical person you'd assume could become a governor. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if Larry Elder getting 48 percent of the vote makes should make people very comfortable. <laughs> well, I guess it depends who you are. I think if you're a Democrat from California, it makes it pretty comfortable because well, yeah. I think it means you're going to win. Like, my guess is pe people seem to think that this sort of, like, lines up Larry Elder to be the Republican nominee in 2022. Mm. And if he is, well, you know, congratulations again to Gavin Newsom for being reelected. Yeah. I, 
the reason why the recall won is that people were is that Democrats were able to scare even people who didn't like Gavin Newsom because of Larry Elder, right? I like mm. there. I was reading some article and there was a quote from somebody who was like, "I'm a, I do not like Gavin Newsom, you know, I don't really want him to be governor, but my only other option is basically Larry Elder, so I really have no choice." Yeah, you know, and that that was that was kind of a controversial. Not uh, hindsight being twenty twenty makes more sense, but. You know, the, it, in 2003, the Democrats ran Cruz Bustamante as a replacement candidate, who was the Democratic lieutenant governor at the time. Hmm. Um, and the Democrats did not endorse. There were Democrats on the replacement ballot, but the Democrats did not endorse anybody or tell uh, voters to vote for anybody. The, the, actually, the Democrat who won the most votes was also the person who placed in second. It was this guy named Kevin Paffrath, who was a YouTuber. Um, he's like a real estate YouTuber, I think, and he... Uh, came in with 9.8% of the votes so far. Um, and by turning this into a binary, do you want do you want a Democrat to be governor or do you want an explicitly pro-Trump Republican to be governor? You know, it made the, the choice that much starker and that much more urgent, I think, for a lot of voters. Yeah. And, I, and, and I think, you know, it, it also happened to basically coincide with the legislation passed in Texas regarding abortion. And it was very easy for Democrats to be like, do you, do you want what's happening in Texas to happen in California? Because it might. Granted, they have, you know, ridiculous majorities in their state legislatures that would probably, uh, you know, cut a lot of elders' agenda off at the knees. But, you know, the, 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 scare, the scare factor was able to work and will probably work again for them in 2020. You mean 2022? That's what I meant. Yes, yeah. 2022. I, I was kind of surprised by the Democrats' strategy in this one. And I know it worked out for them this time where they explicitly, you know, Gavin Newsom kind of consolidating. It's like, we are not going to run anyone else. I am the only candidate, which mm-hmm. like is like great. It worked out for him, but that's a very dangerous decision had he lost, <laughs> right? If the, the recall vote goes down, they kind of had no contingency plan uh, for if he were to be recalled. There was no like consensus Democratic candidate who could have presumably like carried the field against the consensus Republican candidate in the race. No, there wasn't. Um, dangerous. Yeah, it, it, it is dangerous, but I think it, it paid off, right? Yeah. It was it was a gamble that paid off, and I, I understand, right? It's it's just the I think people were already so confused about how the election worked that by simplifying to just just vote no, I think you know. I, I think I will have to give them credit for running an effective campaign in that regard. Yeah. So I guess to continue on that thought. So there is now, of course, an actual governor <laughs> gubernatorial election in California in about a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, was this entire thing a colossal waste of money? And why is your answer yes? <laughs> it was a colossal waste of money. I think, I mean, you look at the margin and tells you all you really need to know. Right. I don't. It, it, I think, I believe the, so you look at like the recall petition, right? California has these ridiculous, they, yes, they, it is very easy to get things on the ballot in California, right? I have no problem calling them ridiculous, actually. Some really absurd yeah. things have gotten on the ballot there. Yeah. And one of, and their, their threshold for recall, I believe it was like just over 1.5 million people signed the recall petition, right? And we were talking about the most populous state in the country, that has a heck of a lot more than just that. And actually, the only reason they were able to get enough signatures within the allotted within uh, within within enough time to do so is because of the pandemic. Because a judge said no, you know, the, 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 there being a pandemic makes it harder to get signatures for this petition. So you are allowed to have more time to try and sign the recall petition. It probably would not have gotten on the ballot in that case. Mm. And I just don't know, you know. What's his name? Scott Walker. They tried to recall Scott Walker a few years ago. It's Wisconsin, right? Uh, purple state was much purpler back then. You know, you could see why he might. That, that's a gamble worth taking, right? You could see why he might he might get recalled. Whereas in California, I mean, you look at all the recent election results, and I just don't know who in their right mind. You you were basically banking on there being a lot of low turnout and a lot of confusion. Yeah, and a lot of things would have to work in your favor. Uh, to win this recall for the Republicans. And it just, you know, it just didn't happen for them because why would it, right? Um, I just, it, 
and it, it, it is just like a fascinating study in living in a bubble almost right <laughs> and and the idea was like well me and all my friends really hate gavin newsom so i bet everybody else does too right <laughs> you know it, it very much felt like a counting the the yard signs approach to to political strategy and it was a waste of time because it was never gonna it was never gonna work and also it's like again it's, it's not to say that like california doesn't have its problems but you look at when what it took to get gray davis recalled and it was like the enron scandal one of the biggest scandals of the 2000s right it was literal cities in california just like getting you know their power shut off yeah so yeah it, it, it i just you know we we don't like this guy and we want him to leave was just not a convincing enough argument for most voters yeah so let's talk about recalls in general so california is probably the easiest state in the country to recall uh, a state official it's uh, there are 19 states that have official recall processes that allow the recall of a governor. Um, only four, of which California is one, uh, allow all public offices in the state of California to be recalled. Um, there are lots of restrictions, but California is basically the only one that can recall a governor that requires no cause for recall and that there is a greater than five-month circulation period. And I'm taking that data from 538. It's just ridiculously easy to get a recall going in California. And it, it is kind of more of a, a Western and Midwestern thing. There aren't a lot of like East Coast states that allow recalls. Mm -hmm. But are recall should recalls be eliminated, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. When I was in eighth grade, we had to take a civics class. And one of our projects was to create our own constitutional amendment. And my group was a presidential recall amendment. <laughs> oh, God. Um but I didn't really know what it, but it was actually a presidential impeachment amendment, which was that. So it was actually Congress impeaches, but then the voters get to decide whether or not the president should be removed. Oh, geez. So it was essentially a presidential recall. Yeah. Um, should they be eliminated? I mean, far be it for me to, to tell what individual states should do with their <laughs> laws. I think that uh, if I were to create a state, would I create a recall law? I probably would not. I think that these things are best um settled in actual elections and if a governor if there is like cost or cost to remove a governor criminal stuff then that should be taken up in the legislature right they should be impeached like you would impeach a president and and um, we have a great example of this from the last few months too is you're on the ground in new york of course you had a governor who was ineligible to be recalled but was about to face impeachment yes um and the and system worked anyway. yeah yeah yeah. And he presumably would have been removed from office. Probably would have, yeah. 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 I, I, I'm not 100% sure he would have been recalled, though, is the thing. No, right. But I, I think by the end there, there aren't a lot of people who thought Cuomo should stick around. No. <laughs> well, you'd be surprised. But, well. Yeah, I would say most people. Certainly not among elected Democrats. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he would have been impeached. Yes, yeah. I think that's true. Yeah, I, I mean, I just think it's... It is... Elections happen pretty frequently in America, especially at the state level. Um, why recall this guy when you're going to have to vote for him again in a year? Yeah, I mean, it's like it. Elections are very. Elections are very common in the United States, and I just think that is an advantage in our system that we're not really. It it clashes with this whole recall agenda. <laughs> Yeah, it just it doesn't is a, make a lot of a sense. A relic of the progressive era. Yeah, uh, ironically, now being used mostly by conservatives. As I mean, I, I remember the day after Joe Biden was uh, declared the winner of the election by the news outlets. As I was like going to the grocery store in like Longmont, Colorado, and I've got <laughs> like this Biden Harris T-shirt on. And I'm walking in the grocery store and there's this lady with a clipboard. She's like, excuse me, do you have time to sign my petition to recall Governor Jared Polis? <laughs> and I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't. It's like, read the room. <laughs> this is not the day. Uh, Jared Polis, of course, being the Democratic governor of Colorado, uh, yeah. who I who interned, you, who for, interned for, for a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you got to pick your targets a little better, lady. 
Anyway, it's just like, and it's not, you know, obviously it never happened. Like, there was a, a lot of people like, oh my god, we have to recall Jared Polis. He's a Democrat. And it's like, you can't get, you're not, it's a waste of your time. It's not going to work. Yeah. Well, I remember after 2018, there was, I remember reading an article, there was a huge wave of people trying to recall newly elected governors, right? I know in Nevada, there was one for Steve Sislak. And actually in Alaska, there was one for Republican governor, Mike Dunleavy. Um, yeah. And so it pe- people try it all the time, but it's... <laughs> Like we said, it's, there's been like four in history or something like that. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, there, the, if you're going to have one, the threshold should be very high and certainly higher than it is in California. Yeah. So last thing on the California recall, does this tell us anything about the 22 midterms, which are, of course, now in a year, <laughs> which Gavin Newsom will presumably be running? <laughs> I don't think so. I, I know the things people want to talk about is like, you know, the, the Hispanic vote margin in California which votes poorly for Democrats. It does, yes. But I also don't really feel great about using this one election as a barometer for that. Like, yeah. if you want to combine those results with the results in 2020, where, you know, Hispanic voters broadly moved to the the uh, the right, then, yeah, I think so. But, like, the idea that, like, oh, because News- Gavin Newsom's margins went down in certain Hispanic areas that, you know, that means that the Democrats are going to get crushed. You know, I, I don't, I don't really buy that. I mean, don't take them for granted. You, there, there's definitely shortcomings, right? Like they're outreaching like South Florida and the Rio Grande Valley is not good, obviously. Right. I would not be shocked if like those Rio, like Rio Grande Valley, uh, democratic congressional districts flip in 2020, 2020 uh, excuse me, 2022. Hmm. Um, just because it, it seems like that's the way the wind's blowing. Um, but I, I don't, I don't think we should draw any sweeping conclusions from this election because it, it is just such an odd case. I, I agree with you. And I, and I think, uh, Orange County is kind of a good example of that in two, in both ways, right? Is there, there are Orange County, of course, was a Republican leaning County that did. So it last voted for a Democrat in 1936 until 2016 when it swung for Hillary Clinton, kind of surprisingly. And then, of course, went for Biden by about a 10 point margin. Um, and so people have kind of looked at Orange County as like a bellwether for Democrats in California, where the recall, uh, the, the vote to recall Newsom did not succeed in Orange County. So the Orange County voted to keep Newsom in office. But it was by a lower margin than Biden won. And so there are people on the left who are like, oh, my God, you know, we have to panic (laughs) because we're losing Orange County now. But they are not really. They're just losing it by a slightly. They're just winning it by a a smaller margin. And then there are people on the left that are like, well, this kind of just proves that our new coalition is sustainable. Right. In In the suburbs and city dwellers are on our side. And like even with Trump off the ballot and ostensibly gone uh that orange county has kind of remained in the democratic aisle yeah and um it's definitely a place where there are seven congressional districts uh that at least have part of orange county of those seven five are currently being held by democrats um and actually the the two that are held by republicans were won back for republicans Mm. in 2020 they like the democrat had won there in 2018 um, and I think that, you know, maybe you're concerned about those districts, but I also think at the same time, like if you're, um, you, you, you said, well, and we'll, we'll talk more about this when we talk about the midterms, but like you said, you know, oh, Trump's not on the ballot or whatever, but it's like, I think in some ways he will be on the ballot in 2022. Yeah. Uh, I think he'll still, he, he, he will be casting a long shadow on American politics for at least the next few cycles. Yes. So, um, there's again not a guarantee of anything, but I think that that is that is what's keeping that coalition together. And I will also just say, yeah, I know the margin was larger for Biden than it was for Newsom. Statewide politics and like our, our I, I know that like the thing was like, oh, like this became a nationalized issue because Newsom was talking a lot about vaccine mandates and COVID and things like that. But you know, statewide politics are weird, right? I mean, you know, in in New Jersey where I'm from, like the areas that swung towards Biden. They still vote Republican for basically all their local offices, right? Like, mm. you know, the dynamics are not always the same when it comes to that. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's move to the next subject, Mike. So I, I want to talk about not too long, but about the prevailing trend in Biden's approval rating the last two months. That 
trend is a negative one. Since the end of July, President Biden has gone from about a 53% approval rating to a 45% approval rating, and he is now underwater with his disapproval at around 49%. What happened, Mike? <laughs> he had what a very happened? stable approval rating for <laughs> his first eight or so months in office, maybe seven months. What happened? He did. Well, I, I don't think Afghanistan helped a whole lot. You know? Yeah. Um, the pull out of Afghanistan that was a, a little fraught. Um, I don't think that was well received by a lot of people. Again, I, I think that uh, I do, 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 do I think there's going to be a movement for us to reinvade? No, not not from <laughs> yeah. not from the grassroots. At least maybe from you know Bill Crystal or something. But uh, again, I don't think that helped. The optics for that were just very bad. Um, and honestly, just uh, the COVID is not getting better. Actually, it's getting worse. Right. And my assumption was that even if the COVID numbers were bad, but people were basically sort of living their lives, which, again, you know, I, I, I can't hover above the United States and see what everybody's doing. But that seems like that's mostly the case. Right. Like right. certainly most vaccinated people are kind of going about their lives um, in, in mostly like pre-lockdown fashion. Um, well, obviously, you know, things like mask mandates and having to show proof of vaccination, obviously there are tweaks, right? Um, but you, you don't have sort of these 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 bars and stores and stuff um, being closed down like you did. Um, but, you know, people are still dying. Granted, mostly unvaccinated people, but, you know, in certain states, like the hospital availability is very bad. Like Iowa is not doing good right now. Mississippi is not doing good right now. And I don't really think you can blame Biden for that. But when you're president, you get credit for the sunshine and credit for the rain, and there's still a lot of rain going on. And I would also, uh, I think there's just kind of like a general sense of economic malaise, right? There's a sense that inflation is getting worse. Uh, there's a sense that there is something weird going on with the labor markets, whether or not you think it is because uh, the extended unemployment benefits are too generous, or you think that there's this sense that people just don't want to go back to work in service jobs, or that people are just slow to get back into that grind. You know, there's a sense that thing is not all well, like the supply chains are kind of jacked up. Right. Mm. Um, and that's a worldwide problem. I mean, the United Kingdom supply chain, the United Kingdom is going to like run out of meat soon, probably. Yeah. yeah. And may also run out of like CO2 to carbonate things. Um, <laughs> to throw it, into the atmosphere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there things are looking really grim in the UK, actually, when it comes to stuff like that. Um, and, and knock on wood isn't happening in the US right now. Yeah. But yeah, and there's, I think it's just a, a sort of like, there's, there's still a sense of unease, right? We, we are not feeling comfortable. I think right after he won, there was this idea of like, finally, that other guy is gone. You know, we, we had this sort of like nice moment of, you know, it was like nice moment of reconciliation, on like inauguration night and the whole concert of Bruce Springsteen and stuff and all that. But things have just kind of sputtered along since then. And I just, again, some of it you can blame on Biden, maybe not all of it, but again, credit for the sunshine, credit for the rain, and it's still, it's still, it's it's drizzling at the very least. It is drizzling, so yeah. That's a, that's a nice metaphor, Mike. So you see this number is kind of soft. You you could see this bouncing in a month or maybe trending downward a little more. I don't I don't I don't know that I see it getting as high as like fifty three again. Interesting. Okay. And the, the number seems about right for me, but. Um, I, I could see it getting back to like 48, 49 as far as approval goes. Okay. Um, and it's one of those things too where I wouldn't be shocked if it's like, well, I don't really love the job I'm doing, but I don't love my other options either. I don't think this is necessarily indicative of a 60 seat swing in the house, right? Um, if I if I were a betting man, I still think the, the Republicans probably went back to the house, but is it going to be like a 2010 level? shellacking i don't think so and part of that is just because there hasn't been a lot of sort of grassroots pushback to biden's agenda right mm -hmm. i mean think about it right you think about it at this point in obama's term and this point in trump's term this point in obama's term the tea party was in full swing right you had people very upset about obamacare um and you had people like you know haranguing their congressmen in town halls right it was like it was very bad for him and you think about this point in trump's term you know you had things like and these these months are not one-to-one -one, right i'm just thinking like generally first half of these people's terms um you know you had things like the muzzle ban and people just storming airports right you, you had charlottesville i think was probably kind of around this time too yeah um 
and people being very upset and other kind of stuff going on at town halls. And you haven't really seen that yet when it comes to Biden, right? Um, people were upset about Afghanistan, but it wasn't like, you know, the Iran hostage crisis where people were like burning Iranian flags outside the White House, right? Mm. You know, and who knows? Maybe this is just all re- re- relocated to Twitter and Facebook and 4chan, and I just don't see it. But you, you don't have this sort of mass mobilization in opposition to Biden like you did with Obama and Trump. Yeah. And may, maybe I'm maybe I'm looking too hard at that. But that's why I think the numbers are a little soft. Yeah, I, I think I agree. And I don't want to spend too much too much time on it because presidential approval, you know, who knows? He could be back up to 49 percent in a month or he could stay around the same. I don't think we're going to see a lot of change. Yeah, <laughs> would, yeah. I, would be my guess. Yeah. But. That will lead us into our main feature for this episode, the 2022 race for control of the Senate. 34 seats in the Senate are up for election. 20 are controlled by Republicans and 14 by Democrats. So far, five incumbent Republican senators have announced they are retiring, but no Democrats are doing the same. Only two states have an incumbent senator from the party who did not carry the state in 2020, those being Republican Ron Johnson of Wisconsin and Republican John Ronson, (laughs) I'm just kidding, (laughs) and Republican Patrick Toomey of Pennsylvania. Toomey has announced that he is retiring, and Johnson, though he promised to only run for two terms, remains undecided as to whether he will break that pledge next year. Uh, Losing a single seat would cost Democrats control of this 50-50 Senate. What's your top line outlook for the Senate, Mike? Um, too close to call, I think. Mm. Um, I think it presents a lot of opportunity for Democrats. There's also a lot of threat, of course. I think if I had to give a slight edge, it probably, and maybe this is an unpopular opinion, it might actually be for Democrats. Um, I agree. Because I I just think that... Um, I, I look at, and we're, I guess we're going to get into this later, but like, I, I look at the state's... Um, that uh, Democrats could lose. Um, in Arizona, Georgia, I think, again, very very real threat they lose there. I, I think probably Georgia's their most vulnerable seat. Mm. Um, in, in a Republican wave year, Nevada's maybe thrown into that mix, too. And New Hampshire, if Chris Sununu runs, I think, again, that's a problem. But that's uh, four seats, two of which have been pretty reliably Democrat the past four years or so. Um one of which has a very popular guy running in it, and the other which, you know, made this sort of swing towards um, the left in 2020. So, um, you know, all, all those states are really trending Democrat. Um, whereas, uh, and and I'll grant that maybe Pennsylvania is not trending Democrat, mm. and certainly Ohio is not, and maybe not Wisconsin, but North Carolina is, right? Um so that that that's why I feel better about that, which is not to say that the Republican, Republicans couldn't pick up seats. I think they certainly can. But if I had to give the slight edge, I would say Democrats. But I think still too close to call in general. I agree. I think Democrats just need to keep everything and they stay in control. Right. So I think that's mm-hmm. why I would give them the slight slight edge, too, is it's incumbent senators don't usually lose reelection. Um, that has not been the case recently but you know it's still usually the rule um and i'm thinking of like you said the states that democrats have to defend i think i i i think arizona is going to be fine they have a very strong candidate there and mark kelly i think new hampshire i mean the biden margin in new hampshire was far yeah. larger than i think anyone expected and matt maggie has not maggie Hassan, excuse me the other one gene, gene Shaheen really had no problem either yeah um and uh, Georgia certainly changed, um, and Nevada is the other one that they're defending. And Cortez Master there is just sitting on piles of cash. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I probably agree that Georgia is the most at risk. But and so the the not to cut you off. Yeah. But because we're talking about Georgia, the other reason why I'm kind of high, not high, but high, you're on the Democrats' chances is that I am not impressed with the Republicans recruiting so far well you and mitch I mean, mcconnell <laughs> yeah i mean like the, the 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 republican leading the polls for the nomination in georgia right now is herschel walker right um the the heisman trophy winning football player who has never held office before and might not even live in georgia and who and, mitch mcconnell very explicitly did not want <laughs> yes to run. but who donald trump wants to run and you know 
Yeah. Who do, who do we think voters are going to side with? <laughs> um, yeah. And so there's that. Arizona, like you said, I think Mark Keller is very popular. People like him. Uh, probably the leading Republican there running now is Mark Brinovich, who, um, if you accept the theory like I do that the reason why Maricopa County uh, and Arizona as a whole, you know, swung towards the Democrats is because people really don't like Donald Trump in Arizona. Mark Brinovich's whole thing right now is that he's trying to he, he's trying to prove that there was voter fraud mm. in that election. And if even if I think you're a moderate Democrat who or not, excuse me, a moderate Republican who just like, you know, I'm going to vote. I, I, I'm going to vote for Biden because I can't stand Trump. Like what what makes you want to vote for Brinovich? Right. Yeah. In that case, I, Mark, Mark Kelly is so inoffensive. Yes. Which is so, I mean, I, I could talk about the Arizona senators all day. I think it's so interesting because, of course, Kirsten Cinema gets all of the news. And she is clearly, Mark Kelly is not, you know, I would describe him as a moderate, but he does not. And I would describe Kirsten Cinema now certainly as a moderate. But Mark Kelly is so much more of a team player, which is so interesting because he's the one at risk, right? Is he yeah. won a special election and now he's up again in next year? But like, you know, the dude is just like, he's just rolling with it. He's just like, yeah, I, I vote for who I vote for, and I'm not going to throw a fuss. Whereas mm-hmm. Kirsten Cinema's, of course, making all this noise. Uh, you know, oh, I don't want this budget deal. Oh, I'm not going to vote for that. I'm not going to kill the filibuster. Um, it's just a very interesting dynamic. And I, and I do wonder if part of it is that, like, people see an astronaut. Uh, I mean, frankly, people see an older white guy as more moderate just by default. And I think mm-hmm. Kirsten Cinema. I think a lot of criticism of her is kind of unfair um, for this reason is like, yeah, she's a, a woman who has like an anti-war background and she wears a lot of crazy wigs mm-hmm. and like people, if like if you were to see her on the street, you'd be like, oh, that is like a, that's like a flaming liberal, which she's, yeah. I think she's going out of her way to really say, I'm not that, please reelect me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think that there is some, some truth to that. Yeah. But this isn't about her. This is about Mark Kelly, who I think <laughs> I, I think Democrats are uh, overrating the chances of his loss. I actually think he's a very strong candidate there. Um, yeah, if you, if you had to match up a, a candidate with the state, you know. Yeah. So so let's talk about what I think are probably the four currently Republican held seats that are probably the most in play, and and I think that is uh, Wisconsin. Pennsylvania, North Carolina, where uh, the Republican senator is retiring, and then Florida, which maybe that could be a close race. Maybe it could not be. That's uh, Marco Rubio's race. But I think that's probably the fourth closest race that's currently held by a Republican. Would you disagree? I guess I would agree. So let me let me talk about Ohio. <laughs> you and sure. I have different I, Yeah, we do. We do. Um, here's the thing. I, I think Ohio is pretty rapidly becoming like a solidly Republican state, right? Um, granted, yeah, Sherrod Brown, very liberal guy who's currently their senator. I, uh, But his, his, his version of liberalism is very different than, you know, a lot of other people's. And I think he's kind of a unique figure. Yeah. The only thing I'll say about Ohio is that, like, their GOP primary could be in, like, an absolute mess. It, it could. They're, so their um, incumbent senator is also retiring. He is yes, Rob Portman. Who, if, yeah. if he were if he were running again, I would think I, I would I would put like a lot of money on him winning. Yeah. Um, but so like I think the guy who's like probably going to win the nomination and the one people think will be yeah, who, who's pulling the best right now is Josh Mandel, mm. who has just been on an absolute tear of just frankly like making a fool of himself recently. I mean, he makes pretty ridiculous statements, but I don't know if you saw the whole thing like. He was on the campaign trail, stopped in a brewery, took a picture with a woman being like, oh, you know, this woman, she was feeling sick, but she came into work anyway because she didn't want the brewery to be shorthanded. And everybody's like, are you insane? <laughs> like, you, you, you should not be doing this. And you just put this poor woman, like, you open up to all this scorn. The brewery was like, what the hell are you doing? He Then he starts arguing with the brewery and stuff. It's a whole mess. Like, he is just like... I don't know, man. He's something else. And then uh, there's J.D. Vance, who I don't think actually has a very good chance of winning at all. Like, no. the, the, the nomination level on the thing. Uh, the thing I want to remind people about J.D. Vance, because he annoys me, is that, <laughs> um, you know, people are like, oh, J.D. Vance. You know, he's he's from Appalachia. He, he, he wrote this great book about it. And, you know, he, he represents 
you know, this 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 sort of like Trumpism without Trump view of of conservative politics that'll help revive the party or whatever. Here's the thing about JD Vance is a he he's become much more of a Trump person in recent months, right? Like he used to be kind of anti-Trump, but now he's pretty much not. Um, and B, it wasn't like he was this guy who was just like living in Southern Ohio, who all of a sudden sort of like had this like Joe the Plumber rise to fame out of obscurity. He was a pretty wealthy venture capitalist yeah. <laughs> who worked for Peter Thiel, who wrote a book that was not read by people in Appalachia, but was read by the coastal elites trying to understand people in Appalachia, right? He is not this like man of the people grassroots guy. He is someone who was put over by the liberal establishment because they thought that he would give them some great understanding of the Trump voter. Um, so I think if you think he's going to win the nomination, you're very much overrating his chances. Uh, maybe that's really just meant for him to hear because I don't think anyone else I really think is going to win. Um, but yeah, I, I, again, like I don't... I just see a world where Josh Mandel or even J.D. Vance kind of like falls in the Sharon Angle or Todd Akin or Roger Murdoch trap and says something really, really stupid and ends up losing to a boring option like Tim Ryan or something. So, yeah, I, I think that's why I think Ohio is not as close a race as you do, is the Democratic slate in Ohio has been weak for a very long time. I mean, I remember when we were doing running mates, it's like we kept wanting to find people from Ohio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, I feel like the last good one we kept finding was, um, uh, oh God, well, there was, there was uh, Dick Celeste, right? Mm-hmm. But in reality, the, it was John Glenn was like the last great Democrat yeah. from Ohio. Yeah. It's just like the Democratic Party in Ohio is not it's not producing great no. candidates. And I think Tim no. Ryan is actually a very weak mm-hmm. uh, candidate. He's, he comes across very whiny to me mm-hmm. whenever you see him and whenever he is that little boy on the Democratic stage. Um, <laughs> I, I agree. So and I think that's the difference. So you, you brought up all these other people uh, who were the Republican nominees in like the 2012 election, right? Uh, and who would end up losing to the Democrat. But like Claire McCaskill was a much stronger candidate than yeah, Tim right. Ryan is. Um, yeah, they could, argue Joe Donnelly was too. Right. You, yes, they ended up beating a very controversial Republican candidate. And it's likely that Tim Ryan, if he is the Democratic nominee, will run against a controversial Republican candidate. But uh, Tim Ryan does not scream electoral strength. To no. me, I, I don't know. That's but funny. so that's Ohio. You want to talk about Florida and why you maybe disagree with me on that one? <laughs> yeah, I just um, I, th- I I don't know. I guess I, I think it's maybe just one I hadn't thought of. I could see it happening. I think Marco Rubio is a weirdo. <laughs> he he, he <laughs> is. He's just a very weird guy. Just, just kind of awkward. But I just looking at the way that South Florida moved to the right last election i just think it's gonna be very very hard for um you know val demings or whoever else gets the nomination to to pull it off not saying it couldn't happen but it it is just such a it florida feels a lot like texas to me where it's like yeah they are these great sort of population centers that should be really great for democrats but it's a matter of running up that margin enough to neutralize right um the rest the of the state the, the rest of the state basically and i i just don't know i just it, the I, I I am not filled with great faith in the Florida Democratic Party. No, no nor am I. But I see Florida, and Florida is obviously also trending very Republican over the last ten years. But I see Florida as kind of the opposite of Ohio, where I think the Democrats have actually fielded some strong candidates. Mm. And the current, like Ron DeSantis, that's why I included as a competitive state. I actually think Republicans are really. They're just doing a lot of things that I think are going to be big issues to attack Republicans on in Florida in, you know, a year. Uh, Ron DeSantis will be up for re-election, and yeah, he'll probably win. But I, I think, you know, Marco Rubio is probably less interesting than Ron DeSantis, and I see a lot of Democrats in the state being like, God, well, these Republicans are really, you know, killing a lot of people here. <laughs> Maybe... We should vote for Val Demings, who seems fine. Yeah, and I, I do think Val Demings is a good candidate, too. You know, um, a 
uh, black former police commissioner, I think, hits right. a lot of quadrants. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I, again, I, I think I think to say it's the fourth most likely Democratic flip is certainly fair. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's talk about North Carolina next. So North Carolina's incumbent uh, three-term senator is Richard Burr, and he is retiring. Uh, how do you feel about North Carolina? It's a state that kind of has been like on the edge for a while. It's like, you know, Hillary Clinton lost it by about two points. Joe Biden lost it by about one point. They, Democrats can't quite seem to pick it up, except in governor's elections. Uh, <laughs> but what do you think? North Carolina, good shot, bad shot for Dems? I think they've got a good shot. I think that um, I'm a subscriber to the belief that had Cal Cunningham not sent out some fairly innocent <laughs> text messages right. um, that he still should not have sent out, that uh, he, he may be the, you know, he may currently be sitting as the senator from North Carolina right now. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think that um, North Carolina, it really just feels like it's teetering on the edge, right? Yeah. I feel like the way people talk about Texas, they should maybe talk about North Carolina. People forget that North Carolina, very, very close in 2020 when it came to the presidential yes. election. Yes, yes. Um, and it, I think the field is maybe um, diffuse enough uh, that a Democrat could win. I mean... But who's... Like, the, so the, the, my problem there is there is no strong Democrat that's kind of yeah, announced they're running. Yeah, exactly. Whereas you have some, like... Former Governor Pat McCrory, I would not consider a strong candidate considering no. he lost an election. Yes. Uh, yeah. And the whole bathroom bill thing. But like Ted Budd, which is uh, Trump's endorsement, uh, is, a, is a U.S. representative, uh, could be, you know, he seems strong mm-hmm. enough. Or Yeah, you know. I, I guess that, that probably that probably is the big question mark, right? It's just who do you who do you run? Yeah. Um, but, you know, do, does Pat McCrory get the nomination and do people hate him enough that, you know, he ends up losing? Could, could be. But, uh, yeah, I, I guess that does kind of seem like sort of like the big problem in North Carolina is that there aren't like a whole lot of appealing. Yeah. Um, there, there, there isn't a very deep Democratic bench. Yeah. So let's move over to what's probably the second most competitive state that's in Republican hands, and that's Wisconsin. So, so the big issue here is does Ron Johnson run? Uh, I think if Ron Johnson runs, I mean, Ron Johnson is also like a weirdo who has like (laughs) over the past two years has like really gone out of his way to be like an ass. I mean, the dude is is like an asshole. And I say that objectively. (laughs) He Mm -hmm. is just like gone on some very weird tears uh, over there. And like he gets booed in Milwaukee. Um, I am not like a strong... I'm a, I'm a believer of the fact that Wisconsin is moving very strongly towards the Republican Party. And I think we saw that over the last uh, three elections, especially at the presidential level. Um, what do you think? I mean, we don't really have a strong Democratic candidate in that race, too. And it could be they're waiting for Ron Johnson's announcement. Well, what, what's your read on that? Yeah, well, so I mean... You say not a strong one, I think. Not a high name recognition one, I think, for us. But yeah. both the lieutenant governor of Kansas and the state treasurer have thrown their hat in the ring. Of so, Wisconsin, not of Kansas. Of Wisconsin, yes. <laughs> of the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I I think, you know, um, if, if you're looking for sort of like, you know, statewide folks, I, I think that's maybe like a pretty good sign. Hmm. Um, yeah. Ron, Ron Johnson... It'll be really interesting, right? He was he was stepping in it a lot when it came to vaccines earlier this year, um, and I think if he ends up running and he'll probably win the nomination, and then has to get on debate stage and defend his positions on vaccines, I think things could go downhill for him. Um, but again, I, I think the big question is, you know, how do you, how do you find a um, candidate in Wisconsin who? appeals to the made the, the the two big urban centers that are not huge but big enough to potentially swing an election but then also placate these traditionally democratic rural areas that are moving to the right i don't know that seems like like a tall task um wisconsin is not a very vaccine friendly state the no. vaccination rate there is about 60 percent who have had at least one dose that's actually lower than florida is is a thing that Ron Johnson is probably factoring into Ron Johnson's calculations. Um, the, I mean, the Midwest in general does not have a strong, other than Minnesota, for kind of obvious reasons, 
is just a little more blue leaning and Illinois, of course, is it, there's not like a lot of, uh, it's not a lot of vaccine take up in that region. Yeah. But I, I, again, and maybe this granted, this is national polling, but vaccine mandates are very popular. <laughs> um, but, but don't you think Wisconsin's pretty, I mean, pretty pro public health common sense measures, governor, Tony Evers will probably lose reelection. He certainly could. Same race. Yeah. Um, which would probably spell doom for whoever the Senate candidate is. Right. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I Again, it's one of the things, too, where it's like, I don't know. Um, the signal and the noise when it comes to a lot of vaccine stuff is we see the people protesting vaccine mandates because they are the loudest, right? Mm. But when you look at the polling numbers, it is overwhelmingly pro-vaccine. Yeah. Um, which is not to say that the vaccine rollout is going swimmingly because it isn't. But more people support the vaccine than don't. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think the vaccines are going to swing this election. <laughs> I think we're maybe zeroing in on a little too much. Um, but I, I think, you know, the, the sort of changing political geography of Wisconsin is going to hurt whoever the Democrat is more than the vaccine issue will. Yeah. And we'll just have to see if Ron Johnson runs. In... Yeah. So last of the kind of ones Republicans are trying to hold on to. So Pennsylvania, we talked about Pat Toomey's retiring. I, that's probably the closest race for I, I would agree. Democrats to have a chance mm-hmm. at getting. And, you know, Connor Lamb, who announced he'll be running, he's a, a congressman who has won some very moderate districts. Mm-hmm. Uh, very strong candidate, I actually think, in, yes. in Pennsylvania. Very popular. Uh, kind of has national name recognition um, mm-hmm. to some degree. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, you also have uh, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman on the Democratic side. Yep. He, he's a guy. He's <laughs> he certainly stands out in a crowd. Yes. Uh, what, what do you What do you think of Pennsylvania? Yeah. I, again, I, I do think this is the 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 best potential Democratic pickup. I think Connor Lamb's a really great candidate. Um, I want to see what a John Fetterman candidate would look I, like. I know, right? <laughs> I don't know. He he could win. I I don't think it's out of the question. I just it'd be fascinating because I don't think he owns a tie, but um, it'd be kind of interesting. And then uh, he's huge. He's like six foot he nine. Is. It's ridiculous. He, he's he's massive, um, and he lives in a loft in uh, like a reclaimed warehouse. Um, he he he's an interesting guy. <laughs> yeah, it would really put to the test like the we need working class Democrats running. Right. right. Um, I I am more impressed more impressed more impressed <laughs> thus far with the uh the the pens the excuse me the democratic uh primary thus like so far like you said connor lamb john fetterman and also malcolm kenyatta who's a state representative from philly um and yeah it, it's funny because i don't really know any of these republicans who are running <laughs> um which again you know once people learn their names, well, that matters much. But I look at Pennsylvania in general, right? And it it is a much more rural state than New Jersey. And New Jersey is the frame of reference I've looked through a lot of things on because I'm from New Jersey. Mm. Um, it, 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 I know it is by no means a bellwether, but yeah. <laughs> follow with me here for a little bit. Sure. Certainly much more rural. You know, it's, it's Philadelphia and Pittsburgh with Kentucky in the middle or whatever they call it. Um, <laughs> but you look at sort of the suburbs of Philadelphia and the suburbs of Pittsburgh and they had a sort of like the new, like the new, like the sort of upscale New Jersey suburbs of 2020 move to the left. And I yeah. think that'll really help. I, I think Pennsylvania has more in common with a state like New Jersey in some respects than it does with maybe Ohio or Wisconsin when it comes to that. Right. On the eastern side, I, yeah. Pennsylvania has trended more Republican. Actually, it has. it's the most consistently trending Republican state in the Midwest. It is. But Biden also won Allegheny, Allegheny County for the Democrats for the first time in however long. Yeah, but, um, you know, big whoop. <laughs> Biden also didn't win Pennsylvania by very much. A he state did. where he is from. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. Uh, and things we should, I, I, I just would just want to point out, but like, I know this doesn't mean anything at all, but the, the in, in both Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, both the Democratic Senate candidates, um, in 2018 won like pretty easily yeah but 2018 was a strong democratic i know lean, i know and i don't but think we think the same about 2022 it's, it's just a, it's just a fact i'm throwing out sure there. 
And Bob Casey is not a typical Democrat. Yeah, um, that's definitely true too. So, well, go on. Well, so Sean Parnell, who is who Donald Trump has endorsed in the mm-hmm. 2022 Republican primary for Pennsylvania Senate election, is he actually was the 2020 nominee against Connor Lamb for the <laughs> yes. House District. Yes, and, you know, Connor Lamb's beat him once. It's just mm-hmm. kind of funny if this really backfires on them because... I mean, there's like a ton of people on the Republican side trying to run in this race, but I guess I'd give the edge to Trump's endorsee in winning that yeah, primary. I, I think you have to. He's also, you know, he was a congressman. So if if you're if from a name recognition standpoint, if you're going to know somebody, it's him. You know, a Trump's ambassador to Denmark is also running, but I don't think most people could pick her out of a crowd. Um, I certainly couldn't because I just learned about her now. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I would. So, obviously, Sean Parnell can lose in, like, swingy Republican areas, so. Well, um, Sean Parnell was never a congressman. He was? Oh, he was not. You are yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Because uh, Connor Lamb <laughs> beat him. Yes, yes, my mistake. Uh, and not to be confused with the former governor of Alaska, Sean Parnell. Maybe, I think that might, that might be yeah, what I was yeah, thinking yeah. of. And why I thought that he was a uh, congressman. I was like, he did something before, right, right. I don't remember. Um, okay, so Pennsylvania's a pretty good pickup. What's going to keep you awake at night if you're a Democrat? We kind of talked about Arizona. It sounds like we, you and I agree Mark Kelly's probably okay there. Mm-hmm. W- which state keeps you up at night? Um, well, I, I think that Georgia keeps me up at night, um, but in the sense that it's it's the it's the closest state i don't think there is a fatal flaw for democrats in in georgia right i think that they know what what's going on um and and they just have to be kind of ready for it um i think that in a way like uh, i would say i think new hampshire <laughs> really um, okay. just because i think if chris like look and i know it's not the most helpful thing in the world to look at pulling this far out but you look at the Sununu and the Hassan matchup, and Sununu ends up winning in pretty much all the polls. Hmm. And that's the one thing Democrats can't control is if Chris Sununu enters the race or not. Right. I was going to say Nevada as my second just because, um, you know, it, it was probably closer for Biden in Nevada than maybe some people expected. But uh, he did he did outperform Hillary, so um, maybe I'm not quite as concerned. Though, though not relative to his overall performance. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I, I think New Hampshire is just something we're going to have to wait and see. Uh, if Sununu runs, that could be a very unwelcome surprise. But I also wonder if, if Sununu runs, he's going to have to behave a lot differently than he did as governor. Like, if he wants to run in that primary, he's going to have to embrace some things to win that primary. And a lot's going to come out that it seems like New Hampshire really does not care for at this yeah. point. Um, it's in, it's interesting too because New Hampshire, their um, was it only the lower house of their state legislature flipped Republican in twenty twenty. Um, at least one of the houses did, hmm. and I if if you if, you know if you're someone who's paid attention to politics in the Obama era, both the houses did actually. Um, you know you you might think oh well this is kind of what happened, you know. Basically, it started in the state legislatures, and then, you know, you had 2010 and 2014. One thing I'll just say is that New Hampshire is the most overrepresented state in the union when it comes yes. to uh, their, like, the, the, the state representatives per capita in New Hampshire is very out of whack. So yes. I think it was just kind of, like, weird. And also, again, it's, again, it's New England. State politics are weird in New England. You know, it's, there are no elected Republican uh, congressman from New England, and yet there are many elected like Republican governors in New England. Yeah. So, just uh, they, they they like their state level Republicans. They they don't like their uh, federal Republicans very much. They 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 do. Um, I I think the one thing I would mention uh, about Nevada is that. So I, I probably think Tony Evers may be the most embattled governor up for re-election in mm. 2022. Uh, I would have to say Sisolak in Nevada or uh, Kelly in Kansas are probably pretty close. Are probably yeah. the next two, right? Okay. Well, if you're including gubernatorial races, well, I'm like... just like 
because <laughs> they were going to be on the same ballot as these senators. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think Cor- Catherine Cortez Masto's the senator in Nevada. I mean, the Democratic Party there is like probably the most organized Democratic Party in well, the country but, <laughs> at this point. Uh, but but it's did you say it's the most organized? I, the party machine is the most. Yeah, organized. it is not the what has is, recently happened. Both both of those, both the Democratic and Republican state parties in Nevada are in some degree of like turmoil <laughs> yes well that um, is definitely true there was kind of like a a sanders wing coup in the democratic uh party and then yeah. the republican party there's also like like proud boys are trying to like infiltrate the uh the party organs there so <laughs> a lot going on but you're right the machine is strong like the uh that one union right it's the hospitality workers union or whatever mm. knows how to get the vote out and there was a lot of concerns that they wouldn't be able to in 2020 and then obviously they did yeah uh so good things good things to watch uh mm-hmm. overall in the senate race uh is the is the, you have like a one to two sentence answers why is this different from the basically forgotten house conclusion at this point it seems like the senate could stay democratic we're, we're kind of making that case that it's probably slightly more likely than not do you yeah. think the house is going to stay democratic mike i don't no why is it different? Um, Why are we? Well, you can't you, you can't gerrymander states, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and the map is favorable, mm-hmm. and I think it is much more candidate dependent. Yes, I think that the personalities of candidates have a much uh, higher saliency in Senate elections, and I think that the Republicans could end up recruiting some pretty bad candidates. <laughs> yes, I'm I'm going to use the the political science phrase. <laughs> electoral exposure it's just much lower in the senate it's yeah you can't gerrymander you've got better incumbents uh you know no redistricting you've just got more name recognition um, i will say that the senate's rural bias favors republicans a lot more than democrats yes. but uh I, what's the, you know i mean you know if we if they were defending if they were defending john tester's seat or joe manchin's seat then i right. feel worse right but they're not right now Right. They, they've got, you know, um, Georgia is probably the, their biggest scare, but it sounds like they could do a P- Pennsylvania pickup if they lost Georgia. So, yeah, who knows? And that's the thing, right? It's like I think there are lots of um, there, there are lots of replacement opportunities. Right. right. You know, uh, they, they won Pennsylvania. Biden won Pennsylvania by more than he did Georgia or Arizona. Yeah. Right. Uh, not by much but yeah no not by much but he did yeah so you know and again obviously you know you look at 2008 you look at 2010 presidential results and midterm results not usually a lot of correlation right um at least not always let me ask you a question though sure so you you talked about embattled governors you mentioned evers you mentioned sisolak and you mentioned kelly yes for democrats yeah how do you feel about gretchen whitmer um so that's a good question I feel like she's actually, I think something that goes to her advantage is actually that she is now one of the most well-known governors in the country. (laughs) And you could not say that about the other three. Um, Michigan has trended Republican faster than any of those states that we mentioned, right? Kansas is actually trending more Democratic. Nevada is very slowly trending more Democratic. And Wisconsin is mildly, quickly trending Republican. Uh, whereas Michigan has very dramatically taken a very Republican, it's a very steep curve towards the mm-hmm. Republican Party. But I think Whitmer's name recognition helps her. Is I just think there there is so much like furor over her that it'll really turn out Republicans. Mm-hmm. And I think when Republicans get really loud, Democrats tend to turn out too. I I don't know. Do do you? What do you think? I, I think she'll probably win re-election. Mm. Um, but it, it just I was curious, right? Because she was sort of like the Republicans' favorite punching bag over the past year when it came to governors. Yeah. Um, I, I think her, you know, almost getting kidnapped <laughs> probably works to her favor, right? She, yeah. she hasn't really done anything, like, bad. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like people... Well, actually, I do think people really do hate her. But mm-hmm. not for any, like, good reason. Yeah. You kind of have a Hillary Clinton problem with her, which now that I say that, maybe she will lose. <laughs> but I guess you only need to win the popular vote in Michigan to win the governorship. So maybe that she'll win. True. Yeah, That is true. Well, it's interesting, too, right? I, this, um, I've been thinking about, like, gubernatorial elections, and 
people seemed so convinced in 2020 that there was going to be like a lockdown backlash yeah and that a lot of these democratic governors and what have you would lose because of the lockdowns right and I don't think there was any indication of that in 2020. Well, there weren't a lot of governors. There were, but the thing is, like, there, yeah. there weren't very many governors running. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, you know, I'll be interested to see how the margin looks for, like, Phil Murphy in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, and then also for Terry McAuliffe, who is not the incumbent, but who is running in Virginia. Um, <laughs> basically an incumbent. Yeah. Yeah, basically <laughs> an incumbent. Um where, you know, people expect there could be some backlash. Is there actually going to be? I I don't know. I yeah. Again, I think it's one of the things where I feel like for a lot of people, it feels like COVID is over, <laughs> which is yeah. not necessarily true. But, um, you know, it, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. And we will end with that. Thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, let us know what you think on Twitter. You can find and follow us at The Post Writer, or you can email us at our email address, contact at thepostwriter.com. We love hearing from you, so <laughs> come chat with us. Send us an email, uh, or you can suggest some other topics for us to unpack. Uh, Politics Express is a postwriter podcast brought to you by thepostwriter.com, and you can check out stuff we work on, things we've written, Uh, our other podcasts, and more over on that website. Uh, We'll see you all next time, and my thanks, of course, to Mike for joining me. No problem.